Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Well, it's been um, one of those interesting weeks where uh, I uh, had my normal study day on Monday and and uh, I just want you to know before anyone, you know, misunderstands, I was ready for this morning. Just want you to know I was ready. I w- it wasn't like I got caught up and was not ready to preach this morning. But um, this week we had uh, some friends of ours, some new friends of ours that we kind of have met through the course of this year. And uh, there are a couple guys from uh, Frontier Alliance International uh, which is a, an organization that, that works a, a lot in the Middle East and uh, here on uh, the home front uh, and, and kind of the war front of missions. And, and um, they were spending some time with us on Thursday. And uh, Thursday afternoon, uh, I just felt that it was rather than maybe having them come share a little bit, that God was moving us to have more of a, uh, a robust conversation uh, to share some of the things that God is sharing through them and some of the things that God has laid on our hearts as well. And so uh, we'll, we'll get to my sermon next week. Um, and I think the Holy Spirit has kind of led us in a direction to have this conversation this morning. So I want to invite Jess, uh, Jeff and Jesse up right now. And um, they're coming up. Yeah, give them a hand. Sorry, I didn't get your chair. You had to get your own. I'm just glad I was given to me to sit at your right hand. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, family gets their own chair, right? <laughs> well, good. I'm super glad to have you guys here today. And I'd love, I'd love for you guys to kind of introduce yourself and uh, kind of tell us a little bit about um, your, your mission and, and what you do and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, uh, my name's Jeff Henderson. I'm the director of Frontier Alliance International. Uh, I have served in the missions world in one capacity or another for over 30 years and in my fourth decade. Um, but I, I have the, the joy, the privilege of essentially serving as, I, I kind of phrase it, a global pastor uh, to people who are serving all over the world in Frontier Alliance International's case in really hard to go and hard to stay places uh, in amongst unreached and unengaged people, do you probably know that about 40% of our world's population is still unreached, and most of them live in a little window of the world, a little sliver, sliver of the world we call the 1040 window, and most of those people are Muslims. And so we are concentrated in the Muslim world and some really hard-to-go places, and I have the privilege of pastoring, coaching, leading, uh, a lot of our, our folks that are there and a group of people who are here supporting that work, you know, in the U.S. My heart, though, is, is still the local church. I was formed in the local church like most of you, and I pastored uh, congregations over this entire time. In fact, just handed over the reins to a church in Jacksonville, Florida in the fall of last year to focus full-time on the work that I do globally. I'm uh, Jesse. I'm the director of the Frontier Alliance International Homefront. Uh, since 2014, 
my family has been in the missions world, uh, specifically leading teams, church groups uh, to the Middle East, to the Muslim world, living in the Middle East, ministering amongst the Muslim people. And it was actually just transitioned. We, we have a three-year-old daughter and we now have a one-year-old son. And with the pregnancy of our last son, we, we found ourselves back in the States. And long story short, in the course of really COVID, the Lord started ministering to our family's hearts of what he's doing in the church on the home front, what he's doing in the Bride of Christ. And being compelled in that season, uh, we were on, uh, we were pastors um, in Alabama, and being compelled in that season of the mighty and amazing work that he's doing here, we, we accepted the invitation to come join full-time staff, not necessarily overseas with FAI, but to come and direct alongside Jeff, um, work amongst the church here in the West and on the home front. Cool, thanks guys. Um, <clears throat> Jesse, uh, well, one, one of the things, obviously we've all, um, we all know what's going on in the world around us, and I mean, our, at least our individual worlds and, and, and the greater world, and, and um, we've all kind of walked through this, this global pandemic, and there's been lots of, lots of things that people have experienced, and you know, part of Jesse's story is God calling him back stateside in the midst of, of, of the pandemic, and God, um, leading him to different, different decisions in the midst of all of that kind of turmoil and conflict and difficulty and tension. And, and um, Jesse was sharing with us on, on Thursday morning a little bit about um, kind of that idea of, of difficulty, struggle, the, the pains that we experience. And, and I'd love for you to just kind of share what you've been learning and what you've seen and kind of how you've seen it differently and, yeah. and uh, what God's been teaching you about that. Yeah, this is, you guys heard, uh, just heard me reference kind of our, our story of coming off the field with, our, with my wife's pregnancy with my son and just kind of the process. One, the, you know, when COVID first hit, we kind of were launched, we all have our COVID story, you know, and one of the major COVID stories for us is this process in which the Lord really started unpacking for us his biblical plan, his desire, his zeal towards the bride, towards the church. And uh, one of the words, you know, just as we were praying, our original plan coming back to the States was we were planning on having my son and hang back to um, Northern Iraq. And we, upon the invitation from FAI of, hey, would you guys be willing and open to uh, leave the home front? We initially said no. Uh, we, we initially wanted to go back to the field. Um, there's some crazy statistics of when, when, when missionaries come off the field, they oftentimes don't find themselves back on the field. And so, but the Lord spoke to me this word that still to this day is the trajectory that our family has found ourselves on just being con convicted. And the Lord told us, Jesse, I want you to be a midwife to the church. And we just kind of, Lauren and I, my wife and I, we were just unpacking that, praying into that word together. And, you know, big scripture, that FAI, I, I believe you guys have all seen Sheep Among Wolves too. You guys watch it, lots of people. Um, you know, one of the scriptures that often is talked about in FAI is Matthew 24. And it's, it's Jesus' message of the season of his coming, the season of his return. And it's initiated by the disciples kind of probing some questions. And he goes into it, kind of unpacks it, gives clarity. And 
in Matthew 24, he mentions birthing pangs and how there's gonna be this natural rhythm. You know, Paul unpacks in Romans 8 that this world has been submitted to a process of decay, of deterioration, and birthing pangs. It's gonna be, there's gonna be a natural bent of this earth until coming to the Lord, and as these waves of what he says is birthing pains, and they will increase, just like natural birthing pains. You know, for those of you that have had children, you know as the, as the, the day of delivery has come on, they become, you know, you got the Braxton Hicks, and then it gets more and more intense, less, or more and more frequent, and likewise, you know, Jesus is unpacking this, that will be the course of this earth until the day I return. And so whenever we're unpacking this midwife word that we felt in our hearts, Lauren, my wife, she's an RN, she's a, she's a nurse and um, actually has been working towards becoming a midwife. And so with our last pregnancy of our son, which was when we came back to the States, she kind of, you know, as we're unpacking this, she, she mentioned, you know, birthing pains and natural childbirth was supposed to help the labor process and not not disillusion, not cause just pain, not, not, it's not just a, it's not just a result of the curse of man, but supposed to align the woman. And, and I just started chewing on that. And I, I said, so birthing pains are actually supposed to be an aid to the woman in the midst of labor. And she said, yes. So I, I remember going to Matthew 24 and reading completely new of the Lord's, in the Lord's mercy, as this world is it submitted to decay, as we look outside the walls of our households and our congregations, we're gonna see, I promise you, we, you will see a natural decay, but what the Lord desires in his mercy in that midst is to say, look, all right, this birth pain's gonna cause you to shift over here, shift your body as the, you know, the, that's what the birth pangs does in natural childbirth is it makes you wince in pain to bring you into a more comfortable position so that the baby could work out of the birth canal. And the Lord just spoke to me, Jesse, I want you to be a midwife. I want you to stay in the States. I want you to join FAI. And I want you to be the midwife. You can't give birth for the church. You can't take on the labor pains that churches are gonna go through but you could be that gentle voice, sometimes firm voice, but you could be that aid of, hey, let's come into alignment so that we can have a healthy birth. If you resist, if you're stubborn in your ways, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit and moving with it and being in the know of what the, what the Spirit is speaking to the bride, you'll have a miscarriage. But the Lord's desire and mercy is to use these birth pangs to bring us into alignment with his plans, with his purposes, with his desires so that he could see a church that's healthy, radiant, lively, full of the Spirit at, 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 the, at his coming. That's, that's you know, when, when you were talking about that, um, and one of the things you said, and you said this morning, is that those pangs push you into a position. And, and there, there's this thing that, that Jesus and all of Scripture builds us in this direction where where God is positioning the church as, as corporately as a church, the church that is under the leadership of King Jesus, but also God is positioning in our lives us into places where we can be most effective for his kingdom. 
and, and that really we don't get, we are not good at positioning when we are getting everything we want in the way we want. In, in the same way that like, you know, it, I'm, I'm sure that there'd be a, it'd be a great thing to say, hey, can childbirth just happen with zero pain, zero position, just zero interruption to life? <laughs> um, you know, I, it doesn't work that way and, and it won't work that way. And, and so this idea that, that these birth pangs that, that God talks about in, in Matthew 24 and that, that Paul talks about these are, these are things in this world that we experience both as a community and as individuals that God is using to position us for what he has in store for us and what he has in store for the culmination of, of, of human history. And, and it's interesting to, to kind of, I feel like it's timely, uh, there's an urgency, and even just thinking about this because uh, if, if, you're, if you're unfortunately watching any news, um, you'll know that, that uh, round two of a war is starting. Round two of people being set against each other and being angry with each other and disagreeing with each other because now there's this variant D, uh, which I have affectionately named variant Diablo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and um, and there's there's talk in, in in states and federal and counties about what to do about it and what kind of mandates to go back to and, and all that kind of stuff and 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 I think we as Jesus followers have to see things through the eyes of Jesus and in the scope of Jesus because while our our society and our culture, whether meaning to or not meaning to, I have my theories about that, but whether they intend to pit those who've been vaccinated against those who are unvaccinated, that's not a Jesus thing. Whether it's to pit those who wear masks or those who don't wear masks, to pit them against each other, that's not a Jesus thing. But, but, I, but I think that as we've walked through this last year and a half, that those have been birthing pangs if we're going to look at things biblically through Jesus' eyes, through an, a truly biblical worldview. What we'll see is that God has been walking us through these birthing pangs to position us, to get us in the right position as his bride, as his church. And I think it's so easy when we hit those things that are difficult, we push against them and we don't want to, and, and, and we, we don't want to get into the right position so that his glory can actually start to come out of us. And so here's, here's what I would say in a very practical way is, is you read articles as you hear different politicians and authorities talk as you decide what to post on your social media. I would challenge you to think about how has the birthing pangs that you have experienced, how have you responded in positioning yourself to be exactly where God wants you? I mean, for Jesse, it was that these pangs of, that were global, moved him to position him back in the States, which wasn't their desire. <laughs> 
And, and maybe for some of us, these birthing pangs over this last year have tried to position us, but we've fought back against that because it's really easy to want them to just go away and, and, and maybe persevere through them, but not actually change where we sit with Jesus. And so I actually think this next round, which I really do believe is gonna get intense and maybe even worse than the last round because we're all tired and exhausted. I, I, think, that, I think that God is giving us another opportunity and it's of one of two things. Either you fell into line during the first round of these intense birthing pains and you are at a place where positionally you are surrendered and humble and ready for Jesus to work through you in ways that you can't imagine. Or this is another opportunity because you rejected that positioning last time and he's saying, I'm gonna give you another chance, another mercy in order for you to position yourself in that place where you actually can move the, the, the message and the mission of the kingdom forward. And we get to that position through the things that hit us that, that are under God's sovereignty. And, and so I would just challenge you, church, that, that we are all here together and we all have different ideas on different things. But I want you to think of whatever comes next in the context uh, of these birthing pangs and, and, and being, like Jesse said, being called to be a midwife. And, and maybe some of us are ready because we've put, we have responded in humility and surrender to the positioning of the Holy Spirit and we're ready to be that midwife to help the rest of those around us. And maybe we're the one who is experiencing those pangs that needs to get in the right position. Just know that, that, that whatever comes next, God is calling us not just to respond to the immediate that we see, but he's calling us to an eternal kingdom that we don't see fully, but we see shadows of. And, and just, we are called to be ready. We're called to be ready. And I just, I love that story. Yeah, I, I think too, it's important to know that this alignment, this positioning, you know, being seen as a mercy, because ultimately we're not, you know, we're, I forgot when you were talking about this, sometime yesterday, but think it's so easy to think that in these birth pangs that the church is just merely supposed to survive. Yeah. You know, that, and this, this coming to alignment isn't just so we could scrape by this birth pang, and, but it's actually the Lord's process. You know, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews talks about a time that the Lord's gonna shake everything so the things that could be shaken fall off but things that can't be shaken remain. There's actually gonna be beauty that comes about alignment. You know, I think of it kind of like a chiropractic adjustment. You know, if you basically, if one of, you know, your spine, whatever they call it, if there's one thing that's not alignment, it's gonna manifest over here in your fingers. You know, or if one thing, you know, and they're totally, you know, you don't know how they're connected, but it's just the spinal cord. If one thing's out of alignment, it could be manifesting in this way in the church or in the body of Christ globally or just regionally, whatever it is. But the Lord's, desire in his mercy of, hey, let's come into alignment over here. We're actually gonna see life in places we probably haven't seen life. We're gonna see vigor and passion, desire. We're gonna see maturity. We're gonna see growth in the coming days we never seen. So, and this is, this is where it blows my mind in terms of the mercy of the Lord. 
is as we see the natural bent, that Romans 8 of the earth deteriorating, we're gonna see the church and the bride of Christ become much more radiant, much more powerful, much more in love, much more unified. And this is, I think, the desire in the heart of the Lord that he's really put on our hearts is that we want to see that radiant church. We wanna see it here at Crosspoint. We want to, we're seeing it more and more in Iran in beautiful ways. We're seeing it across the globe and, it, and having that perspective that Jeff and I have the privilege to see these believers in the underground church, we come back not full of condemnation, not full of, hey, come on, but we, we're full of hope because we know it's the Lord's plan. If I could just hop on it really quickly yeah. and just offer this, because it's such a good word, Jesse. I love hanging around fiery young believers because he so provokes me. I have four kids. Jesse would be right in the middle of them, and I've learned more about childbirth from Jesse in the last two days than the <laughs> four that I witnessed. And uh, But the spiritual analogy here is, and if I could just push the spiritual metaphor even a bit further, um, because Jesse and I have both had the sense in hanging around with your, your leaders, your staff, who've been extraordinarily hospitable. Um, you got to get a warm maple bar at 11 o'clock at night at Mr. T's or you haven't lived. Um, <clears throat> but if I could push it a bit further, I think Jesse and I both have this sense that the Lord is really up to something here that we would say as outsiders looking in that you guys appear pregnant to us as though the Lord's doing something. And to push it further, I don't think the Lord's given it, if we were sitting privately, we're just hanging out with a few of our friends, but I'm saying this to you, you know, like it's a private session. Brother, I don't think the Lord's given it to you to be a midwife. I think he's given it to you like Paul in Galatians 4, where the, almost the whole chapter is about birth, where he says, I'm like a woman in the pains of childbearing until Christ is formed in you. That you as a leader, a key leader, don't get the objective external experience of coaching through birth. You, you get to live it out, brother. <laughs> so congratulations. You're the lead You're pastor. <laughs> Always wanted to be pregnant. <laughs> we can talk about that later. I have such... <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. And I, su I so appreciate that, that word of encouragement and that, and that um, you know, so it's interesting that we, we talk about the, what God is doing and, and we, anyone who loves Jesus so desperately wants Jesus to show himself and, and for the church to be victorious and for, for, for the, the word of God to go out and, and for the kingdom to grow, all of those things. And we're so excited about that. But the problem with God's kingdom is that the way he designed it, not because he had to, because he chose to, it requires us. And I say that's a problem because we, are re we can be really difficult. And, and so really we, we can say things like, you know, we see this and we see this, that, that God's doing this and we're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. I wanna see God's glory. I wanna see the, the church you know, when, when, when Jesus says that he's washing his bride so that she is presentable to him in that last day, that, that we wanna see that. And this is important, that's why that's going off. Um, and, and so, and so <laughs> that was like an exclamation point. Um, that, that, 
that the bride is gonna be presentable to Jesus in that last day, but it's going to take, we have a role in that. And, and so we can say we want that, but, but so often in life we want things, but we want to put the least amount of work and sacrifice and struggle into it. And, and, and so there's something about us, and, and we, we have to be, we have to be one with Christ. We have to be intimate with Christ. And uh, Jeff, you asked, asked a question, or you kind of, I don't know, it was more of a statement, but about like how we think of Jesus versus how we think of each other the other day. And just, if you could share that, and even talking a little bit about intimacy with Jesus, what does that look like? And, and like, but, but starting at that point of how we kind of tend to see Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I offer this from a place of conviction. Yeah. You know, that I have this bias as I, as I relate to the Lord and as I watch people, as I, I pastor people who are, who are endeavoring to have as strong and as vital and as vibrant a relationship with Jesus as we possibly can. I mean, if we're believers, who doesn't want that? But I think that one of our key obstacles is we just don't really have a grid for relating to Jesus in the same way that, say, Matt and I are able to relate to one another right here on stage. I mean, he's right here. I can see him, I can talk to him. And, you know, we have this view of the Lord as though he's not as alive as us. He's not as real as us, that he is somehow this, we have that distant watchmaker mentality, theological perspective that God just kind of created us, created it all, and then just kind of took his hands off and it's just spinning out. And he's a distant mystical force like Star Wars or something like that. And he's not someone, I mean, Jesus is the most alive man He's the most alive man today that exists. He's the only one who's living and dwelling in a resurrected body who is, who is absolutely and completely able to understand all that's going on in your life and in my life without any pressure on him to, on his schedule. He exists eternally in the present as the most alive man, and yet I meet with him on, in the mornings in my OCD-ish, ADD, you know, way for a few seconds as a distant watchmaker and not as being as real as Matt. So I could sit with Matt and have a conversation for an hour that would be rich and vibrant and beautiful and we would hang out and have coffee and eat maple bars and we would, we would laugh and we, would, we might cry. We would have all of this incredible, and we would cultivate something deep and the more time I'd spend with you, the more we would get into it. We might even disagree and we might have to hash some things out but we would go somewhere deep in relationship, and this is the way the kingdom's built, by deep relationships. Yet I think I can build the kingdom, or the Lord can do it through me with this really inch-deep relationship with him because I don't see him as being real. And I will tell you, Matt, I'll tell you, Lauren, I wanna, I'll come sit under Pastor Lauren if she'll just stand on the stage and say, here's what we need to do today, church. Jesus, show us you. I thought, I, you know, I might've come to Modesto just to hear that. I would, if you just said altar call, I'm at the altar front and center after that. That's what I want. I just want Jesus to manifest himself in my life that I might know him more and might see him. I'm telling you, church, he's real. He's alive. And he's waiting. He's longing for you. He's showing up every morning at that, appoint, at that secret place going, I'm here. I want to hang with you. I'll hang with you for as long as you'll give me, as long as you can afford to give me. I'm here. I want it. Um, and I think part of the problem that we struggle with in this, I think we've begun to segment or compartmentalize or categorize our faith 
so that we have different categories of relating to Jesus or, or you know, so, you know, there's like weak Christians, you know, th that, that's the guy who maybe bent his knee, kind of put his leg in the waters of baptism, but didn't fully, you know, wasn't fully immersed. And then there's the normal Christians or those who come to church on a somewhat regular basis. One church, a dominant church in America defines this is two times per month. This has become kind of like you're, you're, in a, you're connected, you're a normal Christian if you come two times per month to church. Not that the whole barometer of your faith is how many times you come to church, but you know, you get the point. And then there's like super Christians. Now super Christians are people like work on church staff <laughs> or, or, or go to far off countries and serve in, you know, radical ways, you know, as if God awards like miles or, or reward points for how far you go. <laughs> but here's the fact of the matter, church. There, there, aren't, there aren't these categories. I always tell missionaries that I'm supporting, look, two things are true. You're not crazy. And, and I, they need to hear that a lot because I, I assure you on the field, you know, I'm really, I mean, or just go out Monday night and feed the homeless here. Do it, do it for a while and you start to think you're making a difference and then, you, you know, the person's in, really backslidden or, or dies or something. You're like, well, am I making a difference at all, Lord? Am I crazy? You're not crazy. And this, I tell you're not crazy. Abide, it, you know, here's greatness in the kingdom of God. If you don't quit, you win. Just persevere, hang in there with Jesus. You're not crazy for what you're doing. And then secondly, you're nothing special. You really aren't anything special. It's not as though the Lord did something tremendous by saving you as compared to the person next to you. You're nothing special. And this is the reason that's important. One will keep you from, you know, quitting, and the other will keep you from becoming puffed up. But here's the reason it's really important, particularly to missionaries, is I find with missionaries that they come back to the States. A guy like Jesse comes back to the States, and he comes into a church like this, and you're like, man, I love what you're doing. And, you, you know, you're a hero for what you're doing. And Jesse doesn't know what to do with that. Jesse and Lauren are like, I, I don't know what you mean that I'm a hero. And a, a missionary of old by the name of Nate Saint, who was martyred in Ecuador, preached a message on this once, and he said, I'm just going to say it the way he said it, so you can get mad at him, not me. <laughs> he said, the reason that you, you call me a hero is to justify your lukewarm existence. Church. He says, because if I'm just a normal Christian who's being obedient to what God's called me to do, and that's just normal faith, then what are you if you're, just, if you're not doing what God's called you to do? And so you, in order to call yourself normal, you have to make me a hero. And what I'm saying is, is that Jesus wants to relate to you in such an intense way that it begins to spur you on to a, a way of existing in him and relating to him that goes beyond anything you've ever, ever understood. And Jesus would call that normal Christian living. He wouldn't call that super Christianity. Yeah, um... The reason this resonates, and I think this is true, that we don't really see Jesus as real as we see each other, is because if, if you and I were to make a lunch appointment, I was gonna have lunch with you, or I was gonna have breakfast with you, or we decided that, that we we're gonna have breakfast at 6.30 in the morning, 
What if I didn't show up to that? There'd be a conversation later, wouldn't there? But we do that with God all the time. Or even if he showed up late. Yeah, I I mean, and and it's just kind of, we say things like, well, you know, I I missed, I got too busy, I missed my time with Jesus or, or whatever, and would I say, would I, eventually when you get in touch with me and say, hey, we were supposed to have lunch last Wednesday. Oh yeah, I just got busy. But that's exactly what we do with Jesus because we don't really see him as real as we see each other. We've gotta start seeing Jesus as real as we see each other. Um, you, you talked about four things uh, Thursday about really, I mean, in practical ways of how, how we grow our intimacy with Jesus. And I'd love for you to kind of hit on, on those things again. Well, I, I think Travis asked the question, hey, let's, let's you know, which was an awesome question. He's like, okay, great, theory, wonderful, but let's make the rubber hit the road here. How, how do we really do this? What's it look like? And um, I, I began to talk about practices in my own life, like a rhythm. And I was like, look, I'm not an expert at this. I don't, uh, you know, some days are great, some days aren't. But, you know, here are the normal rhythms of my life in terms of being in the Word, meeting Him there. This is the most faithful way that I know of to hear His voice, is to be in, in the Word and to be in it in a, in a disciplined way, not so I can check it off a box, but that I really can truly hear from Him. And to... And to interact with him in prayer, to really begin to talk. You know, one of the things that I had to learn to do to really have an intimate relationship with Jesus is stop praying to him like a pastor. I realized that, if, that number one, I, didn't, I, I tried to stop praying as a pastor as a pastor because I realized I was, it was becoming an impediment to people like, you know, our youth who are learning, trying to learn how to pray, and they're like, well, I can't pray. I don't know all those words you're using. And I was like, if I'm talking to God in, in terms that a 14-year-old can't understand, there's something wrong with my prayer life. I need to talk to him like we would, like, so I, I, I try to actually have a conversation. And you might, if you walked in on my prayer closet, you might think I'm nuts. Part of it is, is that I, I, I'm trying, I, I, I like to verbally process. So I'm learning that in order to actually hear from God, I have to get quiet. That's been really, that's really hard for me. Uh, and so I, 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 in the word, I, I pray I journal, you know, which I, again, I'm, I'm confessing to you that I'm pretty ADD. I mean, I'm the dog and up. And so journaling is not easy for me, but it's, it, it helps me to remain. I write my prayers. When I write my prayers, I stay focused. And I, and I, I have returned to my own thoughts. It, it, God's reminded me of conversations I've had with him as a way of encouraging my heart and keeping me in the game on those days I want to quit. And I fast. Um, I fast as a regular, regular discipline. And I'm, uh, I, I grew up in a culture where that was embraced. So it hasn't, wasn't something I had to, it wasn't like earth shattering to me, but I realized in the church in the West that this is something that we've just forgotten and lost. And again, here's how I recognized it. We consider I'll give you three things that we consider to be the sorts of things that we do once we're super Christians. When we're super Christians, we give our money. When we're super Christians, we pray. And when we're super Christians, we fast. But we certainly wouldn't expect a new believer to do that. And then this part of the issue that we have, I know you had Mansoor from GCM here, and he talked about, you know, discipling you know, that's based in discipleship based in obedience. And obedience based discipleship looks at, hey, here's the word. How do I obey this right now? 
And so you go look at something as basic. The basic building blocks of Christianity, according to King Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, is he says this. He says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, he says these three things in succession. What do you think he means by when? He, he's, he says, these are the basic building blocks of Christianity. And if you're sitting there going, man, I really wish God would give me a deep word, but you fail to obey him in the simplest building blocks when you give, when you pray, when you fast. And I'll tell you the reason that I think fasting, I will, I will offer this to you, not as a provocation, but as an encouragement. Of, of, of a way to unlock a, a much deeper relationship with Jesus is this. There's a, a lady who, had, who, she headed up a ministry and she would answer the question of what fasting does. She, she says, prayer opens the hand of God, but fasting binds the hands of the devil. If you want breakthrough in your life, if you want breakthrough in your city, you want breakthrough in your marriage, you want breakthrough in your parenting, you want to call the prodigal children home in your, in your, in your family, Fast. Add that into the rhythm. And, and uh, what I shared, Matt, in the, in the group was uh, the thing about fasting is this. Fasting is ex what happens when we fast is not that we just suffer by not eating, but we replace that time we would have been eating with focused attention on the Lord. It's not a weakness in the, in the sense that we're like, oh, I just have to sit here and groan because I'm not eating. I, I always say, why is it it's way easier to me to get through a day without eating when I'm busy than when I'm fasting? It's because, it's because it, it, it's, it has to do with the renunciation of my rights. You know, I have a right to, to eat today, and I'm not eating, and I'm confronted by that. But here's the power that's released in, in fasting. It's just like Jesus on the cross when he has the power to come down and doesn't. He voluntarily embraces weakness to accomplish something even greater. That's what's released in fasting. Yeah, say that again, that fasting is the power... It's, it is the, the power of, of God and that released to us as we voluntarily embrace weakness. I would say it's meekness, strength under control. Yeah, I, I, um, that, that hit me really hard that fasting is the power of Christ on the cross, that he had the ability to come off the cross, but he didn't. There's no answer. The enemy has no answer for that. Yeah, yeah, that it doesn't. So I was thinking about this idea, and it's, it's very, again, it's, it's simple and it's almost, well, you know, don't, don't, give me the, you know, don't give me the easy church answer, but reading the word in prayer and fasting and giving. And as, as, as Jeff said, and it, you can read it in Matthew chapter six, where Jesus says, again, he says, when you give to the needy, when you pray, and when you fast. And we get that from God's word. And so there is... All three in the imperative voice, by yes, the way. So yeah, they are and, not optional. Right, and it's repeated. It's not just once, but it's repeated. And, and, and so as I was thinking about those things, the word and prayer and fasting and, 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 uh, and, and really giving generosity, and I was thinking through this, that, that the word breaks my intellectual arrogance. That's what, this, that's what reading God's word does. It breaks my intellectual arrogance because I think I know, but when I read scripture, if I honestly read scripture, I find out that I don't know and I find out that much of what scripture says actually is opposite of what I think. 
And prayer, prayer breaks my loneliness. Because you see, prayer tells me in that moment that I am not alone. And, and, and fasting, <laughs> fasting, and I, I wanna say this before I say this about fasting. I want to apologize. I want to repent in front of this church for not leading you in fasting. Because I think some of my greatest frustrations with leading come back to my lack of example. Because fasting breaks, fasting breaks my addiction to my rights. That's what fasting does. And let me just ask you this question. Imagine a people of God who are faced with a difficulty where they are challenged on the rights that they are told that they have and that people of God do not fast because fasting is practicing giving up my rights. And if that people of God do not practice fasting, then I will tell you this, they will not give up their rights for Christ's righteousness. And I need to confess to you that I have not led you in fasting. And I can tell you that that's gonna change. And finally, giving. Giving breaks our slavery to economics. I, I, it doesn't matter if you're a capitalist or a socialist. <laughs> Giving breaks your slavery to economy. And so what, what more do we need to become intimate with Jesus? The word of God, prayer, fasting, and giving. All of those things, we think of those things of, hey, what do I get out of that? Actually, all of those things break a bond in our lives. And so if, you're, if you think you know everything and you're intellectually arrogant, then start reading God's word. If you feel alone, start praying. If you are having a problem living Jesus out in a culture that does not respect God's word and is trying to take things from you, then start fasting. And if you are so worried about what's going to happen with the economy, and start giving. And frankly, we are all as simple followers of Jesus. We're called to do all of those things. And so before we start to say things like, well, you know, I, I, want, I want it. What's, what's our next thing? What, what's, what do we need to do? What do we, this is what we need to do. We need to be in the word, praying, fasting, and giving. Can I offer one? I know we're up against it. One no, quick encouragement. Good. Just, I, I have such a heart for the church, and particularly for those of you who've been faithful um, to the church, the Big C Church, but even specifically to this church for maybe your whole life. And maybe there's some of you here who've been in this church for 50, 60, 70 years, anybody in that category here. 
Um, I just want to say this to you, and this, I, I'm burning with this word for you, really. It, I guess this is kind of the prophetic word for you. The greatest days of your life are not behind you. The greatest, if, if you're thinking about the heydays of this church, wow, well, remember back in the fill-in-the-blank decade when it was like this, or you're thinking about your own life, you know, it used to be, but now it's time for the younger generation to run with it. And you're right, it is. It's time for the younger generation to be the church. But I want to say this to you if you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s. If God is a promise keeper, if he's a God of covenant, then the greatest days of your life must be ahead of you and not behind you. And you have no right to retire from your, your walk with the Lord for your connection to this church. You have to lead. You have to go for it. Finish strong. Demonstrate to these young people how to walk a whole life with Jesus. I want to hang out with people who are older than me. It's getting harder and harder to find them. But I want to hang out with people who are older than me who have fire in their belly and light in their eyes. If you don't have it, get with Jesus and get it. The greatest days of your life are ahead of you, not behind you. That's awesome. Amen. Let me pray for us. Um, my, my, my hope and my prayer this morning is that we walk out of here, one, confident of what God is doing, and two, willing to join him no matter what it takes. That's, that's my prayer for this morning. Um, let me pray for us. God, I am so thankful for your family. God, I thank you for your body that can sometimes be frustrating to one another, but also, God, that you bring your different children together who haven't yet met each other, but they've met you, and there is a deep and abiding bond there because of, because of who you are and what you've done in and through us. So God, I pray for each person here this morning, God, that they would have heard truth and that they would have heard the Holy Spirit speaking to them and quickening them and convicting them and encouraging them and giving them the boldness and the confidence to go out and actually do the simple things that you've called us to do. So God, I thank you for today. And I thank you for how you've moved and what you've done. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.